Yeah, it's a huge concern uh, because it's the most fundamental thing to play in defense. Yeah, that would be tackling, and that would be Dirk Cutter, who is probably at a loss at this point with his Buccaneer defense, which isn't the worst in the NFL, but it's, uh, you know, in terms of yardage, but they're bad, 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 bad in a lot of ways. I'm Mike Neighbors. Welcome to PeterPirates.com's podcast, A Few Extra Bucks, our few extra takes on your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Before I get to my partners in crime, I'd like to thank our title sponsors, House of Brews and Sea Dog Brewing Company who have just re-upped with us for the second half of the season. So we appreciate the fact that House of Brews, great spot in Lutz on the corner of Van Dyke and Northdale Mabry, Sea Dog Brewing Company. They, of course, have great locations in Clearwater and on the beach in Treasure Island, both of them. Great brews, great food, great service. Uh, Justin Thomas, our esteemed producer, I'm going to bring you in along with our Buccaneer insider, Roy Cummings. Uh, I'm glad you guys voted today. Go out and vote, and if you vote, take a vote in the Bucks. Uh, I'll bring Justin in first. I guess your point to the defense is the biggest uh, problem with this football team right now. Oh, definitely. I mean, the offense is doing its job. They're keeping them in the game. It's the defense that needs to figure it out. Roy, a lot of people uh, were surprised at uh, the last presidential election, but I'm surprised, frankly, that there are three defenses worse than the Bucks right now, the Cleveland Browns, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Cincinnati Bengals. And if you look at yards given up per game, not points. Yeah, that is rather remarkable. Um, the difference, uh, I believe, though, is that the reason, well, Cincinnati's been okay. I mean, you know, they're not, they're not very good, but they're, they've been okay. I mean, Kansas City, I mean, the difference with all those teams is they're still plus on the takeaway side. Right. Um, Cleveland leads the league at plus 11, uh, Kansas City's plus five, uh, Cincinnati right behind them, plus four, 10th in the league. So that's what has allowed those teams to keep their heads above water, um, even if it's just barely with Cleveland and Cincinnati, uh, but certainly with Kansas City. But that's what the Bucks aren't doing. What is it, 24 straight quarters now, guys. The Buccaneers have not ta- had a takeaway. That is remarkable. You would think at some point, along that span of time, somebody would just mishandle a ball. Somebody just, you know, drop it, you know, just a ball would get tipped somewhere somehow, fall into the arms of somebody on the other side. It hasn't happened. And and that's really more than anything, that's what's killing the Buccaneers. All right. I'm going to get into Gerald McCoy off the bat. We have some sound from Dirk Cutter, but Gerald McCoy hasn't talked to the media in about a month. And this is a stark contrast from a guy who, was very media-friendly for years, really the face of this franchise. But it hasn't been a good year for Gerald McCoy. He's had an injury. The team didn't vote him as a captain. And, you know, you thought it would be a great year for Gerald McCoy with Jason Pierre-Paul, with Bo Allen, with Vinny Curry, they draft Vita Vea. Finally, finally, he has some help on the defensive line. But, Roy, in terms of Gerald McCoy's expectations, this season has really gone in a different direction. Yeah, it really has. And I think he takes this stuff personally, more personally, um, as his career goes on. This is a guy who is yet to play in a playoff game. He's only played on two winning teams in his time with the Buccaneers. I've said it before, the Buccaneers have wasted Gerald McCoy's uh, talent. They've allowed his immense talent to go to waste because they have never sufficiently surrounded him with enough good players to make the defense uh, a dominant unit consistently. And 
you know, I think the, the longer that goes on, uh, the more uh, Gerald McCoy senses that his opportunity to, to, to win a championship of any kind, a division championship, you know, NFC championship, super, certainly Super Bowl championship are fading away. And um, look, I know he wants to play 13, 14 years because that's what Warren Sapp did. Um, I believe he'll do it. But he also knows that right now he's probably looking at yet another coaching change, which means, I mean, look, he's on his, what is, I think he's on his 12th defensive coordinator uh, and D-line coach now. It, it's it's just crazy. Um, and, and I think that has a lot to do with why he's kind of, you know, been so tight-lipped. And I just think he feels this thing is slipping away from him, uh, his opportunity to really establish a legacy of uh, championship football. It's not going to happen. Well, we're going to play a lot of sound from Gerald McCoy because I thought his first interview in a month was very revealing on a lot of fronts, not only about Gerald McCoy, but about this football team. And I'm going to play the sound first, but I have a theory about Gerald McCoy I'm going to say after we play the sound. But first I have to point out that you know the Buccos lose again, and they lose to the Carolina Panthers. This is a team that started off 2-0, and and now all of a sudden they're in the cellar of the NFC South. But Roy Cummings was the only one that predicted they would lose the game, just like he was the only one that predicted they would lose uh, against the Pittsburgh Steelers on Monday Night Football, and they would lose against the Chicago Bears. So kudos to you, Roy, by the way. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, some, sometimes it's uh, not the best thing in the world to be right all the time. <laughs> You've been on the money most of the time this year, though. Um, let's get back to Gerald McCoy, though. Um, this is what he said to the assembled media, uh, courtesy Buccaneers.com, about why he hasn't talked in a month. I heard Tony Dungy say something on TV about a month ago. He said, when you win, it's a little, and when you lose, it's a less. So... That's been the kind of where I've been at with talking. You know, we haven't been winning. Defense ain't been playing good. It's not really a lot of talking need to be done. So that's why I haven't been doing interviews because it's like nine years in, defense is playing bad. How much talking do I really need to do? Oh, we need to fix it. Oh, we need to fix that. This needs it's just it's, <laughs> you get it done or just don't say nothing. So that's kind of where I've been um, for you guys. I owe it to you guys because you guys have always been great with um, how you've reported on us and how you've been. So if it seemed personal or anything, I want to apologize about that because it hasn't been. It's just business. It's just about working. I just want to come to work and get the job done. Haven't been doing that. So that's kind of where I've been. I like the accountability. And Gerald McCoy, you can do whatever you want. But this is my opinion. You know, Tony Dungy said, when you win, say little. When you lose, say less. But Tony Dungy didn't say, when you lose, don't talk for a month. I mean, my problem, Roy, with that statement is that you have some new blood in this defense, defensive line. You got a lot of young guys on this team, on this defense. You need Gerald McCoy to be that leader, I think, vocally as well. And I disagree with him taking a month off. I really do, because it, it kind of coincided with this team free-falling as well. Yeah, and it also coincided with him being hurt. Um, and not being out there for a couple of weeks. And I think that I think that played a part in it more than anything. It's interesting. You know, he came back and he talked the Monday after um, he came back to the team and played again. I think had he come back two weeks or had he never been hurt, he probably would have, you know, said less, but said something. Um, and and he, in a way, he's right, though. What more can he say? Uh, he's, he has said it all the time. And Ger- Gerald McCoy gets beat up. 
for speaking from the heart um, all the time. It's like Gerald McCoy can never really, uh, you know, get, get, get a break. I mean, everybody wants him to be something special or something he's not. They want him to be tougher. They don't want him to help players up off the, off the turf. By the way, I, I saw Ryan Fitzpatrick get sacked last week and hit pretty hard late at, get get a late um, penalty hit and uh, he picked the guy up afterwards. So, um, you know, maybe they should kick, you know, kick him off the team too. But uh, Gerald McCoy is, I think he's again. What I said before, I think just stands. This is a guy who is. Uh, I think he's desperate to see this this you know scenario change. It's been the same for him for a, a decade now. He's sick of it, and I think he doesn't see a way out of it. And I think he also fears that he's never going to see anything different. And you know he's he's doing everything he can in his power to to try to change it and and be the guy that you know he's supposed to be. I think Gerald McCoy is one of those guys who's darned if you do, darned if you don't. Doesn't matter what he does, somebody's going to have a problem with it. Yeah, but I, I saw a couple of media sessions uh, over the past month where the way he kind of handled not talking, you know, kind of waving the media off. I'm not talking, I'm not talking. You know, you have MJ Stewart there, you have Carlton Davis, you have young guys looking at him. And if you didn't want to talk, that's fine, but don't handle yourself like that. I didn't like that about Gerald McCoy. And, you know, you know, a lot of guys play for a lot of bad football teams, Roy, but Gerald McCoy makes a lot of money and there's a lot of expectations for him. I, I just, I'm going to disagree with you on that. I, I just feel like, you know, he's too important for this football team, not only being that player, but being that leader too. And I think one thing that's indicative about maybe his standing in that locker room is he wasn't voted captain uh, for the first time in a long time. And this is what he had to say about not being voted captain on this football team. I have no problem with it. I'm nine years in. I've been a captain for five, six, I don't know how many years. It's okay if they captain. Quan deserves to be a captain. Levante deserves to be a captain. So so what are they get voted? They're leading the defense, the lead two of the leaders, the team thought needs to be the leaders. It is what it is. It hurt my feelings. I was happy for them. I lost my parking spot. <laughs> but I, now I'm parking in my parking spot I parked in when I was a rookie. So if anything affected me, it was my parking spot. Roy, that sounds good. I, we both know Roy, we both know Gerald McCoy is very sensitive, uh, to, to, especially to a lot of the criticism out there. I'm sorry, that had to have some kind of an effect on him. I think it did. Um, I think it bothers him more than he's letting on. Um, but at the same time, uh, I think he also looks at it like, look, I know I'm the leader of the defense. I don't need a C on my jersey to, to indicate that. And by the way, since when did captaincies in the NFL matter? This isn't the NHL. It's like baseball. I understand you now they put a C on there, something they stole from the NHL. Uh, like many things get stolen from the NHL, which maybe we can go into one day during our podcast. But um, uh, the NFL steals a lot of stuff from that league, guys. You know it. But anyway, um, so I, I don't think he cares. I, I mean, yes, I think it probably bothered him initially. Like, hey, you know, how come I don't measure up this time or right now? But I think at the same time, he is happy for Quan Alexander. He's happy for Levante David. Um, you know, I, I, but does anybody really think that those guys are the leader of the defense? Look. Quan is kind of because has kind of become the heart and soul of the defense because he's a little bit more uh, outgoing and, and boisterous, and he's got an image, you know, on the field that everybody can can see. Um, you know, I think that makes sense. But you know, as far as the other captains, 
I, I kind of question the vote, to be honest with you. If you don't think Gerald McCoy's leader of your defense, well, then maybe you don't know your defense. But, Roy, I don't think he's acted like a leader. I mean, the way he, he's, uh, he's been this year, not talking to the media, the way – I mean, I'm telling you, some of these media sessions in the locker room, the way he's waved off the media, I just feel like, you know, I agree it's a bigger deal in hockey to be a captain than in the NFL. But if you're a captain and then it's taken away from you, that's different, I think. I think if you've never been a captain, you're kind of a quiet guy, you lead by example, uh, you know, that's one thing. But he had it and it was – it was somewhat taken away from him in some ways. Yeah, and look where the defense is. So, you know what? Uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, look, I still see it as this is Gerald McCoy's defense, and it still goes as Gerald McCoy goes because I'm not seeing um, – look, when Gerald McCoy has played, I think he's played exceptionally well. Um, I don't see anybody else outside of maybe Jason Pierre-Paul uh, who's played better more consistently than, than, than Gerald McCoy. Um, that's may not be saying much for the, you know, one of the worst defenses in the NFL, but I think, you know, what you're going to get out of Gerald McCoy every week. And, uh, as long as he's healthy and even when he's not, he's going to be out there. Um, that to me, that's a sign of a leader. It doesn't matter what you say. What matters is how you work and, uh, how you, uh, how you go about getting ready for a game on Sunday and then how you play that game on Sunday, uh, hurt or not. And I, I challenge anyone to show me that they can do it better than, than Gerald McCoy does because uh, he's still the guy that most guys follow onto the field early and, hey, Gerald, show me how to do this. Hey, Gerald, show me how to do that. Uh, he's still the guy that uh, gets graded out probably higher than 98% or 99% of everybody else on that defense every Sunday. He's still the guy who's going to the Pro Bowl uh, every year, and uh, he's still the guy who, in essence, uh, is the voice of this defense because, you know, you know, what's what really, I mean, let's, let's go ahead. You want to go there? What's, what's Levante David said? What's Quan Ale- What did Quan Alexander say? You know, he, Quan Alexander had nothing to say. He had a C on his Jersey, but boy, uh, C maybe st- stood for the uh, C and sucks. If you ask me the way he played the beginning of the season. So uh, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not impressed by who they've, you know, nominated as captains, uh, who they voted as captains. It's Gerald McCoy's defense. All right, we, we may disagree on some of that, but this is, a, this is a good argument for your point. This is Gerald McCoy on something he's going to do this week to maybe help this defense turn things around. I'm going to have a uh, defensive meeting. You know, it's just, it needs to be done. So You're talking about a players-only meeting yeah. the defensive side? Well, we're just going to go to dinner, just talk. You know? <laughs> defensive talk, line man. of the entire defense? Everybody. We just need to talk, man. And... Uh, it ain't nothing like a, oh, well, you know, this is a problem, that's a problem. We just, we, we a family, man. Let's just go have dinner together. You know, I don't think we've done it once this year. And what better time to start the second half of the season? All right, well, I'm going to go back to the point I kind of teased earlier. I applaud Gerald McCoy for trying to do something like that. But it seems like all of a sudden, you know, he's kind of apologizing to the media. He's arranging dinners. He's, you know, talking again. Do you think somebody took him aside, whether it was maybe a, a teammate, a coach, maybe somebody in the PR staff who's tired of saying Gerald McCoy's not talking? It seems like somebody's talked to him. Or maybe it was a former player. Maybe Sap called him. I, I don't know. Maybe it was Brooks. It seems like somebody has reached out to him, and all of a sudden he's, he just, he's just different now a little bit. He talks, he talks to Sap all the time. Um, and Sap uh, 
probably more, believe it or not, probably more than the coaches. Um, because let's face it, Gerald McCoy is much better than any coach he's ever had, I think. Um, certainly as a line coach, uh, he, he probably shows them stuff. But Sap um, talks to him all the time. Sap may have come up with the idea of taking everybody to dinner. Um, but uh, look, bottom line is uh, what, what Gerald McCoy is doing right now is exactly why he should have a C on his jersey, why he should be a captain, because he's leading this defense right now. He, he stood up on Monday after the game and said, look, we're accountable. It, it's not on the coaches. It's, not, it's on us. We're players. It's on us to get it better. We have to get it better. And talking isn't going to get it done. Play is going to get it done. And by the way, in order to make that happen or do the best I can to make that happen, I'm going to get everybody on this defense together. We're a family. We're going to, we're going to remind ourselves of that together as a unit at dinner. And, and we're going to get that cohesiveness back. If we can't get the uh, execution back, we're going to at least get the cohesiveness back. And we're going to talk this out and find out what in the world is going on here. That's a leader. Okay, I don't hear anybody else talking about doing that, but he's doing it. And I have no problem. Again, I have no problems with anything Gerald McCoy has done the way he's handled himself this year. Um, Look, players play with emotion and some guys emotions are different. They express things differently. Gerald McCoy is one of those guys who doesn't necessarily fit the mold of what everybody thinks a defensive tackle should be. But at the end of the day, he is one of the greatest players to ever wear the Buccaneers uniform. I believe he belongs in the Ring of Honor right now, uh, and he will be known as one of the greatest players. Uh, when he, and just and, and by the way, imagine this team without him. Okay, uh, it ain't going to be very good when that happens. Well, I don't want to belab- belabor the whole captain thing, but I will say this: two guys who were captains a year ago aren't captains anymore. Jameis Winston on offense, and I really understand why he's not a captain anymore. And we're not in that locker room every day. And for some reason, Gerald McCoy's not a captain anymore on defense. I just, I don't know, Roy. I mean, I see everything you see, and I agree with a lot of it. I just see kind of a different guy in that locker room. And you've covered that locker room more than I have, no doubt about it. But I've covered McCoy a little bit more, I mean, you know, a little bit the last two years. I just see a different guy. I mean, for some reason, I see why Winston was is not captain. Is there something in that locker room? Is there something going on there? I just, I just wonder when, when I first heard that announcement. And I'm like you, I don't want to make too big a deal of the captain stuff. But I guess my point is, I see Jameis. I'm not sure about why McCoy doesn't have that title anymore. No, I agree with you 100% there. I, I'm very curious about it. I, I don't know. But look, again, and again, and again, I can't deny Levante David and Quan Alexander as captains. I, I don't deny them that opportunity. I find it curious that two linebackers – our captains. If, if I'm voting a captain, I'm voting one at each level of the defense. I'm voting a lineman a captain, I'm voting a linebacker a captain, and I'm voting a secondary player a captain. And I want them to be guys who've been through this before. The guys who know when it's time to call a team meeting. The guys that know when it's time to get together and, and, and talk it out. Guys who stand up. Because let's face it, you know what? For 10 years, and Mike, you know this, because you've been in that locker room for 10 years, after a game on Sunday, win or lose, Gerald McCoy, up until now, up until, well, just recently, and now it's back to that. Gerald McCoy is the guy. He was the go-to guy. He was the last one. Everybody knew you waited around until Gerald was done because most of the time he was beat to hell. And he, he, he was hurt putting on his shirt and his jacket and everything else. But uh, And we more often than not got him tying up a tie. Um, but let me tell you something. 
he stood up for 10 years and, and, and was the voice of this defense when things have gone horribly wrong for them. And I think finally he just said, hey, you know what? I'm not the captain anymore. Let somebody else handle this for a while. And I don't necessarily have a problem with it because right now he's leading the way you expect a veteran and a leader and a captain to, to lead. Doesn't matter if he has the C. He's still a pro bowler in my, uh, in my book and always will be. Yeah, it's just the until recently part. That's that's the only thing. It's like, you know, Leroy Summon for years was the leader. Derek Brooks was the leader. You didn't see the drop off. I'm just throwing it out there. It's it's good podcast talk. Well, let's talk about tackling. Uh, that's the first thing Dirk Cutter said in this podcast. That's been the, the biggest bugaboo for this defense, obviously. They don't have a lot of pressure. The coverage hadn't been there, but the tackling was really full display up in Charlotte against the Carolina Panthers and that uh, terrible defensive performance. Here's what Gerald McCoy said about how to fix the tackling on this defense for the Bucks. We can do more. We can do more with uh, the lanes we're in. Um, we're disciplined with guys. We're supposed to force it back in. Um, guys are supposed to make it bounce. You know, just our discipline level has to be better. And, you know, we hear it from all ends, you know. Uh, 99 gave me air fuel yesterday. That's what he does. That's- you said it, Roy. Uh, Warren Sapp calling Gerald McCoy. Now that would be a highly rated podcast after each game. <laughs> don't don't have don't have them talk. Just just pull up the computers and have them do a podcast. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? I would just love to have heard that uh, that conversation. Although I, I'm pretty sure I know how it goes. Um, look, I, I covered Warren Sapp for you know for for the the, the greater part of his career here in Tampa and uh, uh, covered Gerald. I know how they both are, and uh, I'm sure Warren did most of the talking and. Uh, you know, and you know, here's the problem with the tackling, in my opinion, guys. Um, yeah, it was a, a horribly, ta- a horrible tackling effort by the Buccaneers. Which, by the way, and I've made this point in my uh, in my quick recap of the game, which is still available on PewterPirates.com, by the way. Roy's um, rapid reaction, baby. Exactly. Roy's rapid reaction. Say that rapidly three times. Uh, you know, the Bucks up until about a week ago led the league in tackling efficiency. In other words, few no team had missed fewer tackles than the Buccaneers, and which to me is that's something to be, to be proud of. It's hard to imagine, but it was true. Yeah. But last week was a completely different story. You know what I think happened last week? I think these guys got beat up early. They got embarrassed early. Um, you know, quarter into the game, it's it's going south yet again, and I think a couple of guys quit. And you saw the loafing um, from several players uh, on some of those, um, you know, those wild end arounds, and you know the ball didn't being passed around like a hockey team on a on a power play. <laughs> and uh, I think some guys got embarrassed, and and in essence, their uh, compete level. Let's use another hockey term here. Uh, their compete level just fell off the fell off the off the charts. A lot of loafs, I think. I I would not be surprised if uh, a dozen players were uh, called out for loafs, which is when you don't hustle uh, on that defense uh, from last week's game. And I think that loafing mentality, that that theory, you know, that thinking in your head, like, oh, man, I'm I'm just not into this, that results in poor tackling because in order to tackle, I mean, you got you got to get down dirty and you got to give it some effort. Uh, when you're loafing, you're not in a position to make the tackle. You know, that requires uh, discipline, and, a re- and it's not easy. It's hard. Uh, so I think a lot of guys 
uh, were loafing. I think their compete level fell off. And that was, a, to me, that was the root cause of the, the, the poor tackling issues that the Bucks had. It wasn't a lack of uh, fundamentals or anything like that. It was a lack of uh, will and want to. All right, we've talked enough about the defense. Let's go to the other side of the ball. We're going to bring in Dirk Cutter. You know, when you look at the targets for Ryan Fitzpatrick, targeted nine different receivers. Adam Humphreys leading Chris Godwin, leading Deshaun Jackson, Mike Evans, Cam Bray, down the list. I, you know, I, I like Adam Humphreys, a good player, but you need more from your big guns there. And Mike Evans, only one catch for 16 yards. And Dirk Cutter did not hold back when he described Mike Evans' play against Carolina last Sunday. Oh, that might be as poor as I've seen Mike play in, uh, in the whole time I've been here. And Mike has uh, typically had good days against Bradbury. So we, uh, we had a lot of stuff game planned for him. But uh, Mike, Mike really struggled yesterday. And, uh, you know, we probably should have moved on sooner. But, you know, one, one thing about that is once, once you say in your mentally or you tell your quarterback, I mean, I tell you guys all the time, we don't go back there and just say, we're going to look for Mike. Uh, because then there was times in the second half where Mike did win and we should have been looking at him and we weren't. He's referring to Carolina Panthers cornerback James Bradbury, who had a decent day against Mike Evans. Uh, Roy, what do you think of Dirk Cutter? You know, he's always pretty honest, but this is a coach. Uh, the, the seat's getting a little warmer, and he's talking about arguably his best wide receiver in that fashion. Should he have taken it behind closed doors, or should he have been that blunt with the media? I don't have a problem with him being as blunt as he is. Uh, it's one of the things that we really liked about Dirk Cutter when he was offensive coordinator was he didn't hold back on things like that. Um, you know, he never holds back on praise for guys. But you know what? When it's warranted and you play as poorly – uh, as Mike Evans did, uh, you know, let's not forget, he dropped the first pass, okay? Uh, that ball was in his hands, and he didn't secure the ball. And, and really, uh, in terms of, you know, the offense slow, starting slow, it, it, all had, it all started right there. Uh, I think Mike Evans caught a little bit of that, uh, uh, that vibe he was feeling from the defense, and I think he loafed throughout the game himself. And, uh, you know, so I, I wasn't impressed with his effort either. Uh, I will say this in his defense. Uh, Carolina did a tremendous job of taking away the deep ball last week. One of the reasons you saw Ryan Fitzpatrick, and look, uh, I've been saying James Winston needs to do this. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick did what he does, he or what he's been doing for the Buccaneers at least. He took what the defense was giving him. Uh, the defense was taking away that deep third, and I think you're going to see more defenses start to do that. That's how the Bucs are scoring all these points. They're, they're, they're hitting these deep passes, and, and if you take away that deep third – uh, and force them to go underneath, uh, you're going to probably have a better chance of, of containing this uh, this juggernaut of an offense. So um, I think the Panthers did a good job of that. They clearly focused on shading coverages to uh, Mike Evans. Um, they took D- Deshaun Jackson out of the game, uh, or maybe Deshaun Jackson took himself out. Uh, he wasn't open very much. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, what you saw was a lot of dump-offs and a lot of extra yards after the catch. Uh, by Adam Humphreys, which is great. But, yeah, I don't have a problem with um, Dirk Cutter calling out Mike Evans for a poor effort because that's exactly what it was. And, again, you can't have the top players on your team playing that way and expect everybody else uh, not to follow suit. If, 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 the, if the leader, if the kingpin quits uh, and, and goes, you know, goes that, to that level, well, somebody else is going to follow. When, when more than one or two or three guys follow, all of a sudden you've got a complete meltdown. 
And we've seen way too many of those. Well, Dirk Cutter, if you're listening to the podcast, and I know you are, keep being Dirk Cutter. I don't want to be one of those guys that uh, craves honesty from head coaches in this day and age of bland Bill Belichick's of the world and Nick Saban's. I love the fact that he was honest. I was just, you know, approaching it from, you know, <laughs> should he be doing it? But from a media standpoint, of course, we love it. Keep it going. You mentioned Deshaun Jackson. Um had two catches for 32 yards, but uh, it really was a non-factor in this game. Many thought that uh, they kind of abandoned Deshaun Jackson in the game plan, but Dirk Cutter disagrees. I'd love to get more balls thrown to him, but, I mean, you also see what happens after we got it back up and we just heaved one up to him at the end and it got intercepted. Again, just that's a double-edged sword. We're not trying to phase Deshaun out of the offense or anything like that. We did have other things called for him and the ball didn't go there. So on the stat sheet, it doesn't go down as a target. Uh, for instance, on the one sack that I was saying, when we were in, when we were in two back, first play of the game, first play of the game, uh, you know, that was either a Mike or Deshaun thing. Deshaun was wide ass open. But, uh, you know, we had, we had pressure, and he couldn't get it to him. You always love when Dirk Cutter throws a wide ass open out there, don't you? I do. I do like it again. It's that honesty, man. <laughs> you got to believe that, that that is a phrase that is heard around one buck place often. Yes. <laughs> wide ass open, and we didn't hit him. Sides of the ball. <laughs> oh, Roy. Um, let's bring up one more thing before we get to three and out. Let's talk some positive. Boy, the defense has been brutal. Uh, we've talked Mike Evans, Deshaun Jackson, but the one positive is OJ Howard. You know, four receptions for 53 yards and two touchdowns against Carolina. You talk about a silver lining in this offense. Here's what Dirk Cutter said about his progress. I think OJ's playing fairly well across the board. He still has to become more consistent as a run blocker, which he's very capable of doing, and he has gotten better. But, I mean, uh, he could actually be a dominant run blocker in this league. And uh, I think OJ's doing everything, everything better. Uh, it's just... Uh, you know, I, I think he's I think he's doing a good job across the board. I think he's doing better run after the catch. Uh, I think he's running routes better. I think, uh, you know, we're designing more stuff for him. You know, Roy, he really has so much potential. We've talked about that, you know, for over a year now with O.G. Howard. But it's amazing to me, with all the talk about the defense, with all the talk about the quarterbacks, the Bucks still have the second-best offense in the NFL. <laughs> you know Why? Well, let me let me give you a couple of reasons. Um, let's see. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, uh, Mike Evans, O.J. Howard, Cameron Braid, Adam Humphreys, Chris Godwin. Um, it just goes on and on. Uh, they have weapons galore. All the quarterback has to do is get the ball in the hands of those weapons, and they're doing it without a running game. And, you know, last week they did it. They didn't win, obviously, but, you know, they did it. They scored a bunch of points, got back into the game, made it a game after, you know, falling behind uh, – you know, 20, uh, 28 to 7, 21 points down, 35 to 7 at one point, 28 points down. And they made it a game again, uh, even without a running game and without much pass protection. I mean, the offensive line, uh, you know, pretty much mailed it in last week. And it's because of all the weapons. It's incredible. And that's why when people start to criticize Jason Light and everything else, I'm like, whoa, whoa, slow down, folks. Who do you think built this offense? It wasn't, you know, it wasn't Bill Belichick. It was Jason Light. He built the offense. This was his his objective when he came here was we, we start by building the offense. We get a quarterback. We build around the quarterback. We build a line to protect the quarterback. And, okay, the running game hasn't worked out. It's why 
I'll say this. I keep hearing a lot of people, we just kind of touched on a little bit about how O.J. Howard, boy, saving grace, at least they got O.J. Howard. You know, they'd still be just as good with Ali Marpet. Uh, Ali Marpet, I'll be all right. Uh, with Cameron Bray in that, you know, because by, by the way, before they drafted O.J. Howard, Cameron Bray tied for the league league with Greg Olson of the Panthers, by the way, for most touchdowns by a tight end. Anthony Auclair, Alan Cross, they're certainly not in O.J. Howard's category, but how would this team look right now if maybe Dalvin Cook were here instead of O.J. Howard? Everybody says they got that pick right. I'm not so sure. I agree 100%. 100%. To me, you know, it's nice to have all these shiny cars in the garage, but if you don't have the balance on offense, I'll go a step further, Roy. You know, you could look back at some of the defensive players that were available. I think Jason Light's done a good job building, a great job building this offense. But, boy, there's so many holes on the other side of the ball. And with the running game, I was a big believer in Peyton Barber. But, boy, there's just no balance on this offense. And the defense has so many holes. Yeah, O.J. Howard was a great pick. But I, I, I agree with you. I think there were other needs there. Yeah, there, I just – I mean, I, I've just heard recently, and again, because, again, O.J. Howard now has uh, – you know, he had two touchdown receptions, 53 yards, four catches uh, last week. Everybody says, well, at least they got O.J. Howard. Boy, what a star he's going to be. And I don't disagree. And I, I, to be honest, I didn't disagree with the, with the pick at the time. But I'm saying, what I'm saying is when I hear people say they got that pick right, I'm not so sure they did. Because the running situation, the, uh, Jeremy McNichols didn't work out. And now, uh, first of all, Doug Martin didn't work out. Jeremy McNichols didn't work out. And now Peyton Barber's not quite working out, and it doesn't look like we're not sure that Ronald Jones is going to work out. I'm not ready to give up on Peyton Barber or Ronald Jones. I'm just saying that how would this team look offensively if they had a power back like a Dalvin Cook back there? What kind of a threat he would be? I mean, would that be enough for this offense to overcome the the problems that are on defense? And by the way, no one foresaw the problems on defense that we're seeing. When the season began, Everybody, including us three, were pretty excited about the fact that, oh, they got Vinnie Curry now and Bo Allen and they got JPP. And, you know, I can't wait to see these young kids in the secondary. I wasn't one of those. I was certainly willing to wait. Um, but the, I, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I thought the linebacking core was as good as there was in the NFL, as deep as there was in the NFL. I'm wrong. They haven't played anywhere near that. The line hasn't played anywhere near expectations, except for JPP. And certainly the secondary, well, I've been proven right on that. All those people that couldn't wait to see those three kids in the lineup, well, you got your wish, folks, and uh, it ain't working out so well, is it? So, uh, And by the way, firing Mike Smith didn't change anything. So, um, yeah, uh, but at the the same time, nobody was making those claims. Well, I shouldn't say nobody, but very few people were making those claims about the defense going in. But the offense, I think you got to give Jason Light a little bit of credit. He's built a dynamic offense. And, and one that it almost doesn't matter who your quarterback is because all his job is is just make sure you get the ball in the hands of your guys, not the other guys. Well, I'll say this about the secondary. You know, Vernon Hargraves, we didn't know what we'd get from him. Had a great game against New Orleans to open, then he's out for the year. But to me, the major problem is Brent Grimes. I mean, you thought at least he'd be a steady force back there, and he hasn't. And you couple that with the young guys, that's just a recipe for disaster. You're right, and, and and I look the thing that you fear, and a, a general manager once told me in the NFL the, the smartest thing a general manager can do, no matter how much heat he takes from from his his team, his coaches, and the fans, is the smartest thing a general manager can do: get rid of a player a year too early rather than a year too late. 
And I've seen it happen, and you're much better off getting rid of that player a year too early than a year too late. And I think the Bucks Bucks are finding out that they held on to Brent Grimes a year too long and counted on him being the anchor of that secondary for a year too long. And, 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 and again, nobody wants to give Chris Conte any credit for being anything at all, but Chris Conte plays a pretty good safety in this defense, or was until he got hurt. I think uh, Justin Evans is, is getting much better, but he's exposed out there because he's by himself now in terms of you know understanding what's got to be done. And the defense was too too complicated at the beginning. They've, they've simplified it a little bit, but even when you simplify it, Young kids get exposed. At best, they're going to be good for about half their plays and horrible for the other half. So um, it's been a tough run for these guys, but still, no one very again, very few people saw that coming at the beginning of the year. Well, you talk about getting rid of guys just in time. That's why the New England Patriots have been a dynasty for the better part of uh, this century. Yeah. So I mean, they know exactly when to get rid of guys right away i will leave you this this is our longest podcast by the way so i hope you folks are enjoying it and you know what don't don't exit yet don't get rid of us three and outs coming up right now but i want to ask you this roy looking at the stats right now i know the bucks are slumping they're not in good shape right now at all but they have the number one passing offense in the nfl second best overall offense you've covered this team for a long time they've gotten rid of a lot of coaches who don't have those numbers at all no who do, you, who do you think is more primed for a bounce back from a horrible start? The Buccaneers or the Cleveland Browns or take any other three and five team out there? I'll take the Buccaneers because they can outscore anybody right now. They can outscore anybody. If the defense plays just ha- – just, if, if it could just take the ball away once, if it could just have a decent game, just play – if the defense just didn't give up 38, you know, 38, 42 points every week, this team could win. They've been in every game, that's, except for one. Uh, they're right. They're not that far away from turning this thing around. I know that sounds ridiculous because it seems like the defense has to do so much. But with that offense, anything is possible. Well, my problem with that, though, there's a lot of ifs there. And this defense is awful. And Justin Thomas, our esteemed voice of reason producer, has as many takeaways as the Bucks defense in the last month. And if, you don't turn, and if you don't turn that around – you're in a lot of trouble. But speaking of Justin, you know what time it is. Three and out, baby. Three questions and we are out. Gerald McCoy, we've missed you, by the way. You need to speak more often because I think this has been the most spirited podcast we've ever had in our few extra bucks. But uh, our three questions, I'm going to get Royal fired up on, the, on these. Um, I was actually – in Louisiana this weekend, I covered the Saints game on Sunday, and I saw Alabama and LSU in person tailgated for probably 12 hours, Roy. I paced myself, I'll wow. tell you that. But saw Alabama in person, and my God, God, they're good. They are, they are really good. I mean, you know, they beat an LSU team that's not bad, and they not only beat them, but they shut them out in Death Valley uh, under the lights. I got to ask you this, okay? If Alabama played the Bucks, how many points would Alabama score on that Bucks defense? <laughs> um, I'd give them about maybe thirteen. They'd have to kick a couple. Of, they'd, they'd get a touchdown one way or another. Kick a couple of field goals. You can say what you want about them. Uh, they're, they're a great college team. They're not beating an NFL team. Sorry, what, it ain't happening. What would um, the final score be? Thanks. It just that's uh, yeah. About uh, I say about thirteen. Bucks would win that game. No, and, but. 
What would the final be? How many would the Bucks get on that defense? Uh, th- they might have a little bit of trouble against that defense. Um, but I still think they'd score, score 30. I- I'll say 35-17 uh, or 35-13. Oh, what do you think, Justin? Oh, man, that's tough. I know everyone likes to play this game. I kind of agree with Roy. I mean, as good as Alabama is, the NFL's on a whole nother level. So, I mean, do you want to score? Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying they're going to win because I, I think people who say that are – I'm sorry, they're idiots. They would, never, they would never beat an NFL team. But you know what? I'd love to see it. I would. I do think the world- it would be a great experiment. It would also be great just to shut all those people up, like you said, Mike, who think Alabama could beat an NFL team. But you well, know, you- I'd love to see it, guys. You know, it's funny. In baseball, you know, in spring training, most – a lot of spring – I should say, shouldn't say most – but a lot of spring training teams, uh, a lot of Major League Baseball teams, begin their spring training schedule, their their, their grapefruit yeah. schedule, so to speak, playing against the college. I remember, you know, the, the Detroit Tigers typically will play a game against Southern South, Florida Southern College, which is a Division II school, by the way. Um, you see that happen often, and they're usually fairly competitive. I would love to see an NFL team from the lower rungs, a Cleveland or a Buccaneers, take on uh, a Notre Dame or, or, or a Michigan or, or, or an Alabama or an LSU. I'd love to see that just, to, just for, the, for the heck of it. I mean, it won't happen because everybody's afraid somebody's going to get hurt. But yeah. I think that would be a tremendous – how much interest would there be in that? It would be remarkable. <laughs> Can you imagine this is what should happen? And I, I would love it too. The worst team in the NFL every year, their punishment – the reward is they get the number one overall pick, but their punishment, they have to play the national champion. I like it. I like it. In an exhibition game. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. You know what? Even if they played for only a half, what the heck? <laughs> right. Just do it. Yeah. Oh, man, that would be so much fun. I'd love it. I would right. love it. Pretty quickly, what would the score be? Uh, I think high 30s, and I could see Alabama maybe getting two touchdowns. So let's say 38-14. Fits magic against yeah, against Nick Saban. That would be Good fun. Call there, Justin. Yeah, yeah. All right, um, all right, guys. I've asked you this a couple times, but it's pretty much the halfway point of the season for every football team. Uh, it's election day. I'm going to give you another vote. Who's going to be in the Super Bowl after you've seen half of this NFL season? What is your vote for this year's Super Bowl? Uh, starts with me here. Yes, sir. Um, Sticking with New England, and I guess I'll go with the Rams. Really? Really? Who's going to win that? New England. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right, Justin, what you got? I think for the NFC, whoever has home field advantage is going to go to the Super Bowl. And with the Saints beating the Rams, they kind of have that edge now. I think if the Saints can go into the playoffs with number one seed, it's going to be Saints, and I'm still sticking with the Chargers in the AFC. And who wins? Uh, as much as I would like to see Phil Rivers get his first uh, Super Bowl win, I would pick the Saints to win that. All right. The last time we did this, I said Saints and Bengals. And the fact that the Saints beat the Rams, you know, I, nobody can really beat New Orleans in New Orleans except – the Bucks, and that would be fun if they were the only team to win in New Orleans this year. I think it's going to be the Saints because they're going to have home field, 
and I want to say Kansas City, but I can't bet against the Patriots. And I'm going to go a step further. I think New Orleans wins the Super Bowl in Atlanta of all places, which will drive every Atlantean <laughs> absolutely crazy. The Saints beat the uh, New England Patriots, and maybe Brady and Breeze both retire. Breeze rides off into the sunset, and Teddy Bridgewater steps in, and Sean Payton has a good team for the next five years. Hey, you know, I, 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 I can't disagree with you guys on your picks. Uh, I, I, I really just picked the Rams to be different um, in a lot of ways. I mean, I think they're certainly capable of getting there, but they've got to somehow – they've got to hope that the Saints get knocked out before they face them because um, – Right now, I think the Saints are the best team in the NFC. And um, I think they may have proved that last week. Uh, but I just think they're going to get beat up in the, along the, the second half here in their own division. Um, shoot, they may not even get out of their own division the way Carolina's playing. So, um, But uh, that's, that's, it's a good argument right now. Interesting. All right. Well, it is election day. We're going to finish our three and out with this question. <laughs> this is, I can't wait to hear the answers for this one. Uh, we'll start with you, Roy. And Justin, put your thinking cap on. All right. Um, who's your favorite president of all time, Roy? Me? Yes. Oh, wow. Man. Um, let's see here. You'd expect that really one. Not like, how, how, can, how can you, you know, look, I know it's a cliche. But how can you how can you not love the jam of Abraham Lincoln? Yeah, yeah. He took a divided country and said, "No, sorry, not standing for it. We're going to do this. Guess what? No more right. slavery. You don't like it? Too bad. Right. You want you want to divide the country? Go ahead. Right. Go ahead. Guess what? You're still going to be part of the country. Uh, it, it, incredible, incredible. I I don't think anybody had it tougher. Uh, other presidents did more. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, I mean, Polk, believe it or not, uh, opened up the West. It was incredible. You know, Jefferson, but uh, a lot of presidents. You know, but yeah, I'll take I'll take Abraham Lincoln. Wow, Justin, what you got? I'm gonna go with probably the most badass president there ever was, Theodore Roosevelt. I've wow. always been a huge fan of him. I think taking into account that he was born with like what they called a weak constitution or whatever, and became a rough rider and did all this crazy stuff before he became president. I mean, the guys had a great life. I always thought he was great. I think uh, it's him and it's not even close. That's a cool dark horse pick right there, man. Well, I'm going to go even darker. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go real dark on you. I was going to do Lincoln. Okay. I'm a big Lincoln fan. The fact that Roy Cummings throughout James Polk shows his tremendous range as well. <laughs> Um, FDR, all the stuff he did, you know, pretty yeah, impressive. Right. Uh, Truman, he carried us through the wars. You know, JFK, we never got to see what all he could do in terms of civil rights and the right. space program that I grew up on. Um, but in this modern day age of this political craziness with just both sides, you know, not getting along and nobody likes the other party. I like Bill Clinton. Um, I know he wasn't perfect. I know he had problems, um, but he could work with Republicans in the 90s. And I thought he did a lot of good things for the economy. And since he's left office, I think there's been a lot of acrimony too much. And you could, and I'll go on both sides with, with George W. Bush and Obama and, of course, uh, the president we have now. I just think that he actually worked with, with Republicans and, and accomplished things. And we haven't seen that that much since then. So 
Call me crazy, but I'm going to throw Bill Clinton out there. I can't call you crazy. You're right. I mean, he may have been the last president we had that actually got something done, uh, you know, bipartisanly uh, because, boy, oh, boy, it's, since then, uh, everybody's kind of moved into their corners and they're standing their ground and uh, nobody can get any. I mean, let's. there's no question. When Obama was in the White House, all the Republicans were going to do was, you know, basically try to block everything he wanted to do and now – Trump's basically undoing everything he's going to do. And if they, if a Democrat ends up getting the white house the next time, they'll probably just try to undo everything that Trump's trying to do. So um, you're right. It's, it's become way too divided. I was driving this summer in North Dakota and I saw a billboard that said, be nice. And I just thought, how refreshing is that? <laughs> yeah, really? Whatever happened to that? I don't know. Well, this has been another edition of C-SPAN, everybody. We appreciate you logging on to clearpirates.com. <laughs> But, uh, man, we touched them all. How long was this one, man? This is definitely our longest podcast, Justin. Yeah, it's uh, getting close to 50 minutes. So, Oh, wow. Okay. Quite wide-ranging, however. Very wide-ranging. We mentioned Mark Duffner and James Polk in one podcast. It's very impressive. It's the voter edition, you know. It's the get-out-the-vote get out edition of the A Few Extra Bucks podcast because we talked about who was voted for captaincies. Who you vote, you know, who's your favorite president, that kind of thing. So kind of a political theme throughout. We were a poet and we didn't know it, man. We just kind of, you know, the, the segues continue with the yeah. elections. And we appreciate Gerald McCoy giving us some quality sound. I thought that was uh, very interesting in his first press conference in a month. Uh, great job by Justin Thomas pulling down the sound. Great job, uh, Roy Cummings, once again, for all the perspective he provides. Uh, thank. We'd like to thank our title sponsors, House of Brews and Lutes. And, of course, Sea Dog Brewing Company in Clearwater and Treasure Island by the beach. I am merely Mike Neighbors. This has been A Few Extra Bucks. Please subscribe to PeterPirates.com. We're getting more and more hits on our YouTube channel and, of course, our website with our weekly video previews and our podcast twice a week. But thanks for logging on, and we will see you later in the week.